Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello, friends. Friends, 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 I have a dear friend with us today on The Ramble, and I am, I'm just so excited because Jason is my brother from another, we, we live so far apart, but he is always in my heart. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Jason Gordon, which I only refer to him as, <laughs> no, he, he's chill. Dr. Jason Gordon has been a physician, a teacher, a practitioner in health, wellness, and personal development for over 20 years. His study of many of the world's religions, spiritual traditions, and healing systems has shaped his perspective into a unique essence-driven expression that honors all traditions and seeks to help people engage life on their terms. Jason has a doctorate in Chinese medical Qigong, hopefully I said that right, and a business degree from the University of Michigan. And he graduated the four-year healing science program at the Barbara Brennan School of Healing. He is trained and licensed in several forms of bodywork and manual therapy, such as craniosacral therapy, myofascial release, structural reintegration, shiatsu, sotai, and tunya. I'm not sure I said that right. He maintains a clinic and practice in Miami Beach where he facilitates healing with people in need as well as those seeking direct assistance with self-cultivation, which I'm always needing, Jason. I'm always we needing. all need it all the time. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, all these things sound so lovely. But we were just talking. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And yeah. before we... Uh, before we hit record, we were just talking and I was kind of shocked to hear that Miami Beach, where you call home and have called home for so long, has had a rough spring break. So uh, let's, let's, let's go back there for just a second. What on earth happened there? What, like, why were there shootings and stabbings? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that the Tourism in Miami Beach has always been uh, excessive and extreme and uh, um, driven by, you know, late night party scene and a certain sense of lawlessness. But I don't know, of late, the uh, spring break crowd has just gotten really dangerous, uh, mm -hmm. particularly uh, I don't know anybody knows Miami Beach, but uh, east of Alton Road, closer to Ocean Drive there on that um, Ocean Drive strip. Yeah, I guess there's been uh, five, from what I've heard, five shootings just in the last couple of weeks and, and recently a stabbing. So, yeah, there's some interesting stuff going on here in the local community. <clears throat> I, when, you, when you said that, I couldn't help but... This is, I guess it's, it's just so anecdotal, but there's so much tension everywhere, it seems. And everyone keeps talking about that tension. You know, they talk about it with Will Smith at the Oscars and they talk about it. Just anything to do with the state of affairs in the world. Is it coincidence or do you think that there's, there is just like sort of isolated to 
Miami Beach and its historical and and uh, reputation, or that there's there's just this bigger tension in the world that's manifesting in this weird way, and you know, and it just showed up again in spring break, like it keeps rearing its head everywhere. Yeah, it's a good question. It's hard to deny that there are smaller and larger forces at work <laughs> with just about everything going on. So I, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to be uh, narrow-minded. I'm thinking about that, but I think it's been building here in Miami Beach. I think it's its own little microcosm. There's been a progression. I think word has been spreading about this particular spring break period of time. And people have been, yeah, I think taking advantage of the momentum being built by the previous years. And so I think it's just, it's just gotten progressively worse through the years and there's uh, I, I do think the global complexities have made it more challenging for, for example, the local police force to do its job. But, you know, that's understandable in some ways. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that the community here is incredibly concerned about and not really sure you know, what to do about, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I know it was sort of a loaded question. I guess it's just, <laughs> it's always on my mind and it shouldn't be it's, but it's, you know, cause I, you know, you went, you and I talked about this a lot over the last two years where I would routinely find myself succumbing to not bad action per se, but just bad thoughts just couldn't, couldn't, pull myself out of the narrative, not the narrative, uh, you know, in uh, just in sense of what was being talked about and collectively what was being felt. I couldn't, I couldn't pull myself out of it. And uh, it was at the beginning when maybe that, that was things were sort of fever pitch and you, you decided to start a men's group or a little, a little men's group, just, you know, friendly, not, not business in any way. And it was so relieving. Mm. It was so relieving to just be in that presence. What, what was calling you when you wanted to do that? When you said, Hey, I need, I need to get these, these guys together because you didn't preface it. You didn't, you know, you didn't know, we didn't, hadn't talked about anything before I got the text from you saying, let's, let's do this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've been around that work and I've done that work and, I mean, that type of work is, you know, holding space in a group setting is just a different variety of holding space in a one-on-one clinical setting, which I do really passionately and, you know, my calling in a sense. So, you know, that wasn't something spontaneous and new to me. And given what we were going through, um, and, you know, that was like the start of COVID, leave. And I had some individual conversations with you and a couple other men in my local community. And it just seemed like, uh, you know, it seemed like a natural thing to do. Seemed like something that people were thirsty for from those conversations with you and and a handful of other uh, guys uh, here in Miami. And yeah, so we, we, we put it together and it was, um, it's always its own adventure. Every one of those groups is its own adventure with 
its own eccentricities and and uh, and challenges and uh, gifts and yeah and and that was that was a beautiful experience. We 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 continued with that group for how long? We did for a year, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a year, and then the dynamic shifted when. I don't know what the, you started hosting them in person in Miami and I'm obviously yeah, in Miami. Right. And that was a big dynamic shift for me because I wasn't in I, <laughs> like this fucking, this like <laughs> screen that's getting passed around. <laughs> you don't know the hoops that we jumped through, man, I to know. put you on that little screen. We're all <laughs> sitting around the fire and, uh, you know, warming our hands by the fire <laughs> At that point, we were able to all, you know, sort of uh, be in each other's presence. <laughs> we have you on a tripod with <laughs> a speaker I'm... and then a microphone uh, on a cord toward the center. And it was it was le- very less than ideal. Uh, yeah. But to presence you and have you with us was was a given. And I'm sure there was just like, you know, those those awkward frozens where I'm just like, <laughs> Is like holding the screen and it's like, oh, oh Bill's frozen. Let's uh, disrupt the entire moment. <laughs> Tech is not my thing. So uh, I just, I didn't have the setup, man, to, to oh, pull that off. And we were, we were outside and uh, noises and wind and just too many things for me with my novice tech background to, to, contend with <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like when you saw or i don't know if you ever saw those those tony robbins ads that when he would host he would change whatever his power hours to his home studio but it's like there's like a hundred screens in front of him and there's like yeah you know like the press the white house press you know, behind him of like, and then you have like this little ringy ding <laughs> tripod. I bet many <laughs> on this giant <laughs> tripod that we use for um for all that filming that I was telling you about that we've talked about uh yep. you know, doing something with that footage when when I was sick and, and got, captured all those those images. I carried around that Z1, so I had this. You know, it was a nice size camera and I had this giant tripod. So I have that tripod and I have this little iPad mini on it, which just looked ridiculous. And uh, so, so there you are <laughs> with the technology too, too close to the fire. So it was, you know, freezing up and overheating and uh, yeah. Yeah. But we, you know, we, we tried and um, at some point we'll, we'll get that back on zoom, I think. And, uh revisit we'll do a reunion tour maybe i i dig that i'm just glad you let it you let a crazy canadian in right (laughs) (laughs) all you free thinking florida people you know letting us canadians in but (laughs) we're wild (laughs) i know right it was it was so like i think about it i think about it often and for you it, it was very there's like a shift and i'll see if i can somehow formulate a a question in this <laughs> that you that you can respond to when we started I, I, i'd never been in a men's group before and uh and so there was already an interesting dynamic especially being you know you've been you can go with a group of buddies and have a drink or whatever and you know them all then you go into a group of men that you don't know at all i know you that's it 
So there's all these different energies in the room. And I had this instant desire to impress, right? Like, and in the beginning, impress, is that what you said? Impress. Like, oh, I gotta, I gotta show up in this thing, not to like outdo, but just to like, oh, I gotta, I gotta represent my worthiness to be in this group, right? Yeah. And that worthiness was like, and and you could see it happening in in multiple people in the group. Maybe they'd never been in one where it was like everyone was just sharing what they knew. They were trying to come to the table with some quip of information that might impress everybody else. And that was the only way that I really knew how to present myself in that type of situation. And I think it was like one session or two sessions, no, like two sessions in where you just had enough of it. <laughs> and you're just like, like, I want real, like, and, and I didn't know what you meant. Mm. And I thought like real meant like better information. <laughs> like you wanted like, <laughs> like, oh shit, I better, I better have like better quotes to reference next time or something like that. And I was so uncomfortable and I'm sitting in this because you didn't acknowledge to say who wasn't bringing their integrity, integrity is not the right word, but who wasn't bringing themselves to this thing. They were bringing all these, these, these things that they, you know, attached to over the last year, their whole life into it. And I just didn't get it. And I was so worried that I was the one. That wasn't <laughs> the, but I'm like, shit, Jason's like not going to be my friend after this. But uh, okay. So that, that's not really a question, but can you even just to rehash it with me right now, like what was happening that I was missing in this situation that, that you were trying to lead us to. Mm, yeah. There's, so many ways you could be present in a group like that. So it's not like uh, there's a right and wrong. And you know, first, your your inclination to impress, uh, I have to say, you know, you're in good company because I think that's like a default, right? <laughs> we, uh, you know, we want to fit in and, and our, our idea of, you know, being okay is being approved of. So, you know, I think that's a... It's a pretty safe thing to say that you weren't alone in that boat, you know, present company included. So, you know, these these groups can go so many different ways. And I've been a part of them in a number of different ways. And the ones that have been most fulfilling and gratifying to me are the ones where, where you're not in the story, where sometimes the story is important, but just glimpses here and there. But it's it's not the story so much as what's active at the moment. So to talk about the story is in some ways taking us out of the moment, right? So whatever it was that you were talking about, I'm using you as an example. I don't remember a specific experience and I didn't get the impression of you being awkward in any way, but you know, hypothetically, you, you were telling a story that was driven by this motivation that you've been brave enough to share. And alternatively, you could have just talked about that thing that you were brave enough to share right now. Right. So, you know, I think that's, that's kind of 
the place that I was working, <laughs> maybe the wrong word, because, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that's a, that's a flow that, that happens when work is kind of let, let go of, you know, but, but with that particular group and, and I, you know, I have responsibility in that. Um, it seemed a little more difficult to get us there. It took us longer than other groups. We were, we were all really interested in hearing each other's stories. And I mean, there was, there was something being fed by that, but we were also enabling each other too, in some way by indulging each other. And my, my intention little by little is to be less of the person who's calling people out for taking us on, on a tour rather than revealing something to us. Right. And then little by little uh, encouraging the group to do that for each other. So that's, that was the idea of, of that group. And, um, and I think eventually we, we got there to some extent. I think we had our challenges, but, um, but every group has that. And even in those challenges and those, you know, early get togethers, there's so much to, to glean. There's so many things to take away from it, from everybody in every seat, in every role of that group. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's those fluid moments that are most memorable and that are most impactful. And, and something happens when that takes place. And, and at the end, we, we turn around and we look at each other and we say, how did that happen? Like, what just happened? How did we go there? What was the formula that came together? And those, those moments are really special, but those more awkward moments as well, where it's not exactly that transcending and, and fluid are, you know, they're just as valuable and there's a lot to take away from, from those two. Yeah, I totally remember those those awkward moments where you just let there be a dead space and where people are just sitting in it, like, and where, where somebody like me would be like, I have to fill the silence. I have to, somebody has to say something. I cannot take it, right? It's too much. <laughs> but then, but then, like you said, all of a sudden, or if I recall, maybe the awkwardness could pass if you let it and then and then the group could find their way into something else entirely you know where they just they let it they let that like that first those first barrage of thoughts that come to your mind that's that that everybody would be having saying what am i going to fill this silence with like what am i going to do and then all of a sudden if you let that pass somebody would just say something really beautiful, right? That wasn't scripted or, you know, part of, yeah. you know, the story. And that was really, it was really refreshing, you know, because everywhere, like everywhere else that I would go, yeah, you're carrying a story, right? You're carrying what you, what you watched on YouTube that day or read in the news and how, you know, what you thought about it and what the 10 other people you follow thought about it. And then you want to, you know, you want to bring that to the table and yeah, you're not really saying anything. Yeah. We have enough of that in our daily lives. I mean, that's all we have yeah. in our daily lives, but to get beneath that, um, 
you know, we don't, there aren't that many places to go for that. And so that, that circle is, there's a, a intention, a very particular intention set to, to provide that space for all of us to share. And then, and then, yeah, like you said, then you can drop beneath and, and then there's this moment where somebody says something, I mean, you can tell, I mean, your body knows everything about you knows when somebody's blowing smoke and when somebody's real, right? I mean, it's, it's visceral. And then you, you have a reaction. I mean, either way, your body or in your mind, you're going to have a reaction, right? But, but that reaction is what's valuable to the moment, that experience. And then that gets vocalized or somehow conveyed through sound or music or movement or words. And then that impacts the group and that moves you in some way. And then somebody having been moved by that expresses it, vocalizes it in one of those ways and so on. And then, and that's how something happens that carries you away and can be uh, transformative, really transformative. And, you know, the other stuff is, is fun and it's, it's, you know, getting together with a group of people uh, with, you know, similar desire for community. It's never bad. Well, <laughs> never say never, but you know, <laughs> how could that be bad? Right. And, and so, you know, there's that, but, but uh, to be able to, um, have a different experience from the one we normally have, that's, you know, that's what we're craving. I mean, we're craving in our, in our moment to moment lives too. Yeah. Uh, we just, we don't, you know, we comply. Yeah. We comply with the, you know, the pace and the rhythm and the narrative and, you know, all of the shoulds that are placed on us and, um, and that's okay. There's, there's no judgment on that. And, you know, it's not like, um, it's not like we're, we're putting good and bad on things because that's, uh, you know, that'll stop us dead in our tracks as self-cultivators, but, um, but just to fill a need that we're, we're really hungry for, that's what that, that circle was for. And I think, uh, we eventually got to a place where we were deeply nourished. Yes. I was. I was too. Yeah. I, I I looked at it like when you talk about this trans this transformation, for me it was like soft transformation. It wasn't relevatory in this, oh my God, I learned something. It was, oh my God, I felt something different. Mm. And I remember, you know, because if we just you know, pivot slightly outside the circle to you know, the day-to-day -day lives that we're all living and interacting with the people that we, you know, we do. And, and you, I would find myself in these, these booby traps of, you know, of slinging information, you know, but you know, at somebody about how I felt about what was happening in the world and they would be slinging it back about how they felt. Yeah. And if you had called me out on that actually, and you would, you'd really encouraged, you know, a more, both a more holistic uh, look at everything, not not picking a, a lane, not a swimming lane, not picking a, a an echo chamber, but you know, entrenching yourself in everything, and then tossing it all out and saying, "Well, maybe none of it's this is you know actually true." And and I just remember this like moment that happened after I kind of gave my head a shake and that, and 
was talking to somebody and, you know, it started out in the usual path where they would feel very, uh, <clears throat> they were very defensive and it was, I was very defensive. And then when he was able to make that shift to something real, it was just, we're both a little fucking scared right now. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, a little scared, a little confused. And then all of a sudden these labels that we've both attached ourselves to had dropped in, in that moment. And that was soft transformation because all of a sudden I was seeing human, not a, you know, n- not the opposite of what I was in that moment or what I was defining <laughs> myself, you know, right in that moment. And how, you know, where does, where does that come from for you? Like this, this ability to just really quickly, at least to me, maybe it doesn't feel that way when you're dealing with yourself in anything, but to really quickly transcend through the noise of the thing and just, you know, not get, and not attach and get so wrapped up in it, you know, and just say, I'm not oh. going to put myself in this box. Oh my goodness. Well, there's uh, you know, I have to preface that by saying, uh, I have good days and bad days, right? But I think um, what I would, the, the factors that I would identify are, there's a proverb I love that says, seek to understand before being understood, which kind of sets the space. And that's really what it is. It's holding space, you know, to be able to really take in the experience that somebody's having. And, and that, that in and of itself has requirements, Right. Like you can't, you can't have an agenda in that moment. You can't, you have to have patience. You have to have compassion. You have to deeply listen. Yeah. And so uh, in order to take somebody in, in that way, you also have to, you have to see them as human and not as like you were just saying, the opposite side of an argument that is, uh, (laughs) you know, somehow standing in your way of something that you think to be a value. So, yeah, you know, when you can hold that space, it's, it's derived from being able to hold that space for yourself. And that's derived from the work, (laughs) the work we do day to day to bring awareness to, you know, who we are on all ways to bring acceptance. Once we have that awareness to cultivate wisdom, um, you know, to bring wisdom to that acceptance to then eventually change our view. Because it's the, it's the wisdom really that changes the view. Um, and the view changes the relationship with anything. And our life is just a, it's a composition of relationships. So you change the view, you change all your relationships, change your relationships, you change your life. And so that's, you know, that's what we're doing every day for ourselves, minute to minute, ideally. And then, you know, to the degree that you've done that, you bring that to the interaction. And yeah, and then, and and that's the degree to which you can also be open to be moved. Like you, like you started saying that you had a soft transformation. You didn't have some deep revelation. You had, uh, you had a felt experience, right? Which, which was because you allowed yourself to be moved. There was something you let in, in some way, and it touched you. And that's, that's it. It's that simple, right? Like as human beings, that's, 
that's all we want. We don't really, we don't want the meaning of life. We want an experience of ourselves feeling alive. Like Joseph Campbell says, we want that, that moment where we're touched. And then back to the group, you have that. And then you share that, you know, that I've just been touched in this way, good or bad. And somebody else puts themselves in that space and they've been touched and boom, like dominoes. So, yeah. I, I really honor like your, your commitment to that movement and change. And I, I'm curious because you've written a book. It's a great book. It's called like a finger point to the moon. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I, the, I remember, I feel like uh, if I'm recalling this story correctly, I, I was at your place in Miami years, uh, probably a few years before you published it. And you were like showing me this stack of papers that was your work on this book. I'm like, shit, that's a, that's a big book. <laughs> But then, but then the book I the, well, I got was like normal size book. <laughs> so I was like, "Holy cow!" It was big font. <laughs> right? But the, the well, why I why I love the book so much was because you know, well, one knowing you, it was like I uh, I could hear your voice as I was reading the words, so it was it was comforting in that sense to me. Uh, and I, you just, you just weave so many things together and it does come back to this, this, this idea of movement and, I, and there's stuff I want to just rehash with you in it, but the, my, my curiosity that I, that I'm curious about for myself with my own book has been what's changed because like you just said, we're always moving and all of a sudden our relationship with the thing changes and our view changes and, and that keeps happening and happening. And when you write this book, it's kind of a, something that's set in stone, at least for a moment in time of, you know, where our minds were at when we put fingers to keyboards, <laughs> pens to paper. <laughs> yep. And we've never talked about this. So I'm genuinely, genuinely curious, you know, what, maybe practice from a practical standpoint, you know, what, what was the spirit of the book, but more, you know, more interesting to me is what has changed for you since writing it and where you are today, if anything, maybe nothing, I don't know. No, everything. (laughs) 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 Next time I come, there's going to be a stack of paper. (laughs) I had to rewrite it. It needs a makeover. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's a really present topic with me right now because I am putting some courses online for the book, and and doing some video content for those courses. And so, you know, on on some level, I don't even want to look at the book because I, you know there's so much about it that I don't see the same anymore. You well, know, hopefully we're growing and, and our view is changing and. And if, and if all goes well, we're, we're letting go of beliefs that we've held strongly, right? And that's, the book is a framework, which I still think is a really valuable framework for people who are looking to self-cultivate. I, I have spent 30 years just about within different communities of spiritual traditions and studying different, different healing systems and religions and just putting myself in a lot of, uh, situations and experiences where 
I've gotten insight and knowledge and, um, and, you know, have had maybe cultivated a tiny bit of wisdom about, you know, all of these ways in which we can become a better person or drop the, the, the BS a little bit better. And so I think it's a good framework that honors all of those traditions. That's kind of been my path for my entire life is to, you know, always, no ways kind of a thing. And, and so I have always been very interested in how everybody does it and, and very cautious not to get overly invested in how anybody does it. So it, it's a really non-threatening way of helping people to engage on that path because it's not dogmatic and it doesn't enlist anybody into any dogma. And, and it's, it's just a, it's a framework for helping people to engage with whatever the path that calls them. Uh, and, and so with all of that exposure in those years, you know, it's kind of a culmination of all of that, of what I gleaned, the essence of all of those things, um, like um, what I felt was most important, um, which is a judgment. Um, so, you know, for, for what that's worth. And so I do think it's still valuable in that way. And, and sometimes I, I'll go back and read it because I'm, I'm doing some more writing right now, again, for these courses. And, and I'll say, yeah, okay. All right. I like that. And, um, but in general, my view has changed and, um, and I, I don't really have a shtick right now. That book is kind of a shtick. It's, you know, it's a framework, it's a thing, it's a, it's a teaching. And my journey of late, and we've talked about this, you know, this becoming somebody versus becoming nobody, yeah. you know, uh, that that's kind of been my trip these days. Um, and so unraveling all of that importance and all of that information and, and knowledge and, you know, really looking at, uh, well, I guess, I guess searching for something that can't be found by the seeker, but that only the seeker finds, you know, that, uh, that predicament, you know, that, that's, um, you know, that's, that's uh, that's a good, it's a good way of, it's a good way of looking at the journey where I, the, another good one would be the, the old Zen, um, you know, beginner mind don't know, you know, where we just, you know, we're living in a relative world and we're trying to apply absolute truths to this relative world, which doesn't really work. And so, you know, we get, uh, we get fixed and invested in our beliefs and our systems and, and all of that. And, and, and our identity, you know, you, we were talking about that earlier too. Um, and uh, yeah. And, and, you know, so sort of unraveling all of that and um, you know, and what's left, what's left. Well, I don't know, you know, this is, this is, I think my next book is going to be, um, the title is going to be My Best Guess or What I Think Thus Far, right? Because that's, that's all it is, right? It's an estimation yeah. uh, for the moment in time and uh, we're growing. So I think any body of work has to take that into consideration. And, and that, you know, for a perfectionist, like, like 
I consider myself to be, which is, you know, it's, it's not, a, I'm not complimenting myself there. <laughs> That's that cuts both ways for sure. Yeah. You know, the, the work is never done. So at some point you just have to say, all right, here it is. And, and move on to the next one and know that you're going to evolve and you might look back and, and it, you know, you might not have the same relationship to it. And hopefully that's true actually, right. Cause that means there's movement. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's like that. It's, uh, um, unraveling all of those things I thought I knew and, and some of them are helpful for me even still, but being more in the, um, in the willingness not to grasp on to anything and, and to the contrary, letting go of as many of the beliefs that I thought I had and were useful. You know, they're like, beliefs are like training wheels. They're useful until they're not anymore. Yeah. Well, we've seen that, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. We've seen that. I, I don't know. I don't know which way it shakes us. Like, I don't know if it shakes us to, to what you just said. And we're more open to saying, well, we really don't know, you know, cause a yeah. lot of, you heard it out of a lot of people's mouths in the last couple of years that, like, man, I really did not know what world I lived in or, you know, things like that. And then it's like, okay, we'll take that one step further. And it's, and take that into everything because then, you know, what I, what I see is like, that's the, that's the path into, well, then what's my new lane going to be as opposed mm -hmm. to, I'm just going right. to go forward into <laughs> <laughs> what's my angle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The world is definitely flat, like hundred percent, you know, as opposed to, you know, I'm not making a, a spherical versus round flat earth, uh, you know, judgment. I'm just saying like the, the, the natural tendency is to then just say, well, if it's not this, then it's that as opposed yeah. to it's, you know, there's, there's, it's not, it's, it's not what I, it may not be what I know it to be. And that's where I have to stay. I have to stay in the question. I have to stay in the curiosity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But we're all, but the flip side of that is I think that there was an, there was a further entrenching into you know, one thing or two things. And that is government. And that is science are the new Bible. Uh -huh. And we all must follow this Bible. And it's such a pivot because, you know, in many respects, government was founded in spirituality. It was founded in God, you know, what, generally, I guess, a Christian God in the West, but that it seems to have shifted from, you know, that, that place in which it was inspired, that, that there was still, you know, I think it was in the Canadian charter that puts, which has been, you know, as we, we've discussed, you know, used as not to its intent recently in Canada, not to, you know, how it was, how it was envisioned, I should say, says one of the, the last, the last a guy named Brian Peckford, who's the last living minister in Canada. He was the former, former premier of Newfoundland who has his pen on it, you know, who, who was part of the, the crafting of this charter rights said this charter rights is created first in, you know, God as the ultimate. And then into our, the man-made interpretations of how we, you know, accept this freedom uh, these freedoms that we, you know, we hold dear in this country and that's gone, right? This idea that there is another element is what I'm getting at that we have to factor into all things. Mm. Uh, 
And you can call it God, you can call it whatever the heck you want, but there's another element that is, takes faith, right? To, and, and it takes a feeling to connect with. Not, it doesn't, it's not done through data. It's not done in that way. And I think that that's like, a, you know, again, I don't really know what the hell the question is in this, but, <laughs> but, uh, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we're challenged right now. We, we live in a material world, yeah. which is for, for spiritualists, which I would include myself as one of, it's tough to be a part of. It's tough to watch. <laughs> and you're, it's definitely the minority. But, um, you, you know, you mentioned science as, you know, one of the, you know, almost replacing God at the moment. But that's a byproduct of a material world where we're reducing everything and we think we can know everything. I mean, of course, knowledge is important, right? You know, we do live in a relative world with certain relative rules and laws. And so there's knowledge that serves us in that uh in that trip, that experience, but there is, you know, to, to what you were saying before about a sense of, of curiosity and, and question, right. And mystery that makes it more interesting that, that, that is there, whether we like it or not. I mean, there's just things we, we won't and cannot know. And the things that we do know, most of them will be proven to be different as time goes on anyway. So what can we really grab onto? And so the material world doesn't really offer us the security that we think we need from it. And certainly not creating means to live forever is going to satisfy that either. You know, it's that never ending wheel. What's next? Right. And that, and that's, you know, I think about that all the time where, where do I lie on this spectrum? right? Just the simple, totally connected with nature, letting, you know, not going out in nature, but realizing we are nature. Human beings are nature and fully embracing that and becoming part of it and letting nature take its course and becoming okay with whatever the, the outcome of that is versus being human and having control over what we consider to be nature, which we consider to be separate from ourselves. And in some way, thinking that we're creating our own, uh, you know, destiny and, you know, there, and, and there we are with the, the binary choice, right. That most of us think we have, right. But, but, you know, I don't fall into that camp. I'm, I'm usually more in favor of the nuance and the, the spectrum. And so, um, you know, I tend to be more in favor of, of letting the questions be the path and, uh, and not the answers right? Search of the answers and then what? But if the question lingers, then what changes is our relationship to the question. And then it's not an answer that we get so much so as, as just an experience, an ongoing experience. So, you know, this is, this is a world where most people are more materially oriented, you know, more, more physical, more material, more wealth, more you know, goods more, just more focused on that. And, um, and frankly, the, the remedy to, I think the remedy to most of our problems right now are infusing more of the spiritual 
and and spiritual is a loaded word too so you know that probably calls for some elaboration but just the the, the general sense that uh, there are things that we may not know with the the concepts that our brain operates within and that you know humanity and, and kindness and compassion and the virtues right the virtues are the expression of spirituality uh, and focusing on these things and um, and not and not falling prey to creating the the world that we live in here in some other dimension or spiritual world. I mean, we're, we're literally doing it with technology, creating virtual worlds, but in the spiritual communities, we're doing it too. I mean, there's elaborate worlds with not beings in non-physical forms and, and universes and, and planes and all kinds of elaborate constructs. And uh, uh, it's no less real, you know, you could say than, than, you know, the dream we're having here, you and me, chatting with microphones in front of our faces, but, but that's not the important stuff. <laughs> that's not the important stuff. And it's not going to get us anywhere that we think we want to be. Uh, what's going to get us where we think we want to be um, is being humane to each other and um, having compassion for ourselves and, um, and getting in touch with ourselves as a part of nature. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that speaks to what you were saying so much, but uh, yeah. It does. I, it, I think it speaks exactly to what I was saying when I used the flat earth reference, because, yeah. you know, that, that kind of goes back to the, um, when you mentioned the spiritual worlds and, and, you know, I have a lot of lovely friends who have deep knowledge, I guess, lots of lots of research lots of time invested into understanding these these sort of dimensions that in that they that they would say interplay with you know our realities today you know and our histories these you know reptilian histories and 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 i'm not it's all you know it's all very beautiful and when you sit with them it's can be very exciting and invigorating to have those conversations and, and maybe yeah you know, journey that way. But at the same time, it's, it's still, it's still trying to figure out the why it's still in, you know, seeking an exact answer and saying, this is it. That tradition that you had is wrong. This is the tradition that, you know, is the truth of our world. Mm. And I'm not saying it is or isn't. And, you know, and that's not to, to, to su suggest that any of those people, who I love dearly are wrong. Cause it's, I guess, like I said, it's, it's, it's invigorating to be in their presence and in their energy when they go down that road, but it just doesn't lead to what you said about becoming nobody. It's still a, some, it's still a somebody conversation, right? Cause, cause a somebody conversation is, is an identification of these are the things that I am. My, my lineage is to Atlantis. Well, that's an identification with Atlantis or, these other, you know, these other things that we've discussed, and that doesn't necessarily allow us to just be the experience we are trying to have in the present moment here on Earth, doesn't? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, those whatever whatever reality we're living in, the the catch is investing in it. 
that's where we get stuck. <laughs> and, you know, back to belief. I, I, I always say the truth is beyond belief. Like if you believe it, whatever reality, whatever universe, then chances are you have to loosen your grip on that belief and your investment in that belief to, to dislodge from, you know, the same thing in a, you know, focused in a different way, the same, the same wheel focused in a different way. And, and, uh, you know, to what you were saying, it's no judgment, not good or bad. It's to me, these things are vehicles. So we need a vehicle, right? What does a vehicle do? It moves us. We've, we've been talking about being moved, being touched, whether it's in a circle of men, in a men's group, and, and in some way receiving in a way that touched us and moved us, um, or, or whether the vehicle is a religion, or whether the vehicle is a, you know, a spiritual path, or whether the vehicle is dance, uh, or uh, teaching, or uh, physics, or whatever, you know, every, nothing is not a vehicle. Right. So whatever does it for you, that's, you know, that's the key. Cause we need something. We need something We're we're not there yet. <laughs> so the beauty is that there are so many of these art forms, these vehicles to touch every one of us, because we're, we're all different. We're all going to resonate with something different. So, you know, find the one that gets you passionate and, and, you know, and go for it, go for it in a way that, you know, the, the name of the book you mentioned is like a finger pointing to the moon. These vehicles are fingers. So, if you know, go for the one that, that really draws you in, that's pointing to the moon, but realize that you got to let go of the finger in order to see the moon. Because if you're just focused on the finger, you're only seeing the finger. You're not going to turn your attention to the moon. And so, so these things are great fingers and we need to rejoice in them. That's what I do. And that's like a finger pointing to the moon was that was rejoicing in all of these traditions and vehicles as fingers pointing the way and, and being options for our uniqueness for us to create life on our own terms in our own authentic way. But what I find is that people get really, really stuck, really stuck in them. And they're, they're, you know, it works both ways to turn away from them and not engage them because of a belief right? That you're going to get stuck or that, or that they're not the moon themselves is, is a pitfall in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And then to get overly invested in them is the other side of that uh, coin. But that it's like a yoga pose. I taught yoga for many years. So it's like a yoga pose. You, in order to go deeper into the pose, you kind of have to loosen your, your grip on it. It's not as much about becoming more flexible as it is loosening up, loosening your grip so you can go deeper. So that's, it's like that with these vehicles, you, you hold them, but don't hold them too tight, <laughs> loosen your grip, loosen your grip. So you can go deeper because if it's a good path, if it's a good vehicle and it's a, a community that's practicing that vehicle in a way that's virtuous, because, you know, you can have some paths that are a little shady and you can have some communities that are practicing good paths that are a little shady. So you need to have both. It'll take you where you, where you know, where I think I want to go, uh, which is just to taking myself less seriously and, and poking holes in the things that I believe and being more connected with my friends and family and community and, and the world and joyfully participate in the suffering of the world 
in a deeper, more meaningful way. Right. So, yeah. So have at it. All this talk of vehicles. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm curious, do you still have your sprinter van that you bought? Oh yeah. It, oh yeah. I put 20,000 miles on that van last year. Right. We went right. everywhere. Yeah. So, well, one, you know, when are you going to put another 20,000 miles on it? And, I tried and, to get to Vancouver, man, but the, I know. The, law, the law wasn't on my side. <laughs> I don't even think it still is, Jay. I'm not sure. The, uh, man, like that's the dream trip for, for so many, for me, uh, my wife, my kids, you know, just getting in the van. But I was curious. I, I can't remember all the places you went. I know you made it to the Rockies, but when you when you were in the vehicle going through the states, did you learn anything, or did maybe it's better to phrase it? Did anything surprise you about what you saw and experienced in in doing it in a van? Because I mean, you've never done something like that before, right? Or had you? No, I have. Yeah. Yeah. You hadn't before that, or you had? No, I, I, yeah, I've been cross country a couple times. And, oh, you have um, before that, yeah. And uh, I was 21 the first time I went cross country, and I I put a tent in the trunk, and I I just I went um, national park to national park. That was my my thing back then. It still is. Love love to camp and love to sleep on the earth and just write really quick. You know, you think when when a Canadian thinks of it, it's like okay, you said to me glacier, you know, Yellowstone, but what is like the most surprisingly stunning or, or I guess Grand Canyon, throw that in there, but mm. like, what is the most surprisingly stunning national park in the United States that you wouldn't know? You, you wouldn't know. To, oh, that you wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, well, there, well, that you wouldn't know. I mean, here I am in Miami, Penny camp uh, national park is, is under the water. Most, most people don't know that. And it's, it's a stunning experience to free dive or put on a scuba tank and, and see underwater nature like that. It's some of its finest. It's pretty incredible. But if we're talking about above ground, (laughs) we're talking above ground. uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the national parks are, they're pretty well known. So I think it would, it would be hard to name something that isn't uh, well known, but my personal favorite is Zion. I love Southern Utah and I love, Mm. I love the size of the park. It's not enormous and, and it's so concentrated every hike and everywhere you go is so um, it's dramatic. Is it the one with the, like the red, um, like column structures kind of or... that's br- you might be thinking of Bryce, but those, those kinds of structures are in, in other places in, in that area of the country as well. Um, but Bryce, I think is most famous for those hoodoos. I think yeah, they're called hoodoos, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, which is not far from Zion. It's just a stone's throw from Zion, but I've had some incredible backcountry experiences in Zion and, yeah, but they're they're also they're they're also different. That's kind of what makes it the network of national parks so cool. The the United States in general has some of the most incredible natural beauty of anywhere I've been. I mean, there's incredible natural beauty all over this planet, which is um, it's just incredible. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. I, I think the argument. 
the argument is it could be made though that even though the United States is is large, there's no place with more diversity of landscape than in that in an area like that than the United States. From coast to coast, you know, deserts to peaks, rain, uh, jungle to you know, jungle and swamp to you know, natural you know, evergreen rainforest. There's this. Where else? Yeah, it's, a, it's that, a little of everything. It's an incredible piece of land. It's so, it's, I mean, I feel very fortunate to have the access that I do to all of the nature here. It's, I've been cross country three times and a lot of that is about the nature. A lot of that is about, you know, just touching in with, you know, the country and communities and not living in, you know, some kind of coastal bubble or something, but, but the, yeah, I just feel really fortunate because it is, it's, it's a little bit of everything. And these, these protected areas are, they're grand. They're, they're nature at a grand scale. And I'm never more inspired than when I'm in that environment. It, it is transformative. It is transcendent. It is, uh, I was, I mean, even, even being out on a little Creek, right. Uh, I guess I've been starving for some nature, but my, my family and I, we were up in Asheville a couple of weeks ago and we just we're we're confined by how far we can go to our, our, our nap schedule right now. We're trying to be very structured about the nap schedule with my son. So, um, so we're not doing the, the, the long hauls and, you know, napping in the car right now. Um, well, as little as possible anyway. So we get, you know, three hour windows. So we, go close to wherever we are. And we just got out to a little, a little forest. It wasn't even really too far off the beaten path. And it was just, a, <laughs> it was a little Creek running through I'm just standing there by the Creek, just like devouring, devouring the nourishment that was being offered to me. It was incredible, incredible. And these national parks are, they're like a feast a feast it's almost overwhelming it's like that's a lot of people you know if you go into these national parks a lot of people are in their cars and they drive into the park and the the parks are set up to be very user-friendly so the the roads are well paved and they're well marked and there's turnoffs everywhere for trailheads and for vantage points and and people go from turnoff to turnoff and they see all the views that are accessible by car um which is incredible. And, and some of the trailheads have larger parking lots so you can get out and, and hike around a little bit and, and, you know, do that maybe once or twice. And, you know, before you know it, the day's over, you know, or you can get passes and go back country, but you know, that, that experience, it's almost, uh, it's almost like you're well, to really like get into it and get, you know, get the dirt under your fingernails and, mm-hmm. and to, to, to have that experience is, uh, it's like a flood. It's like a flood in, in that nature. So yeah, I've, I've got it on my mind right now because it's been a while since I've been out there. I haven't camped in so long. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you get out there, you were out there, you, you, you had a string of walkabouts, right? Yeah, there. I walked across the country. A couple, last year and a couple of years ago. Sure, I shouldn't say I walked across the country. I hitchhiked across Canada when I was when I was 19, but there was 
large sections of walking, you know, 40, sometimes 40 kilometers at a time, sometimes a full, you know, close to a full marathon before I would get a ride. Uh-huh. You know, on the highways, it's sometimes it's a little jarring when you're walking and there's cars flying past you, even if there's not, if it's not frequent, because I wasn't standing like this. I just had a sign on the back and, you know, if they pulled over in front of me, they pulled over, right? If not, I wasn't fussed, but it is, it is true because the, the national parks in Canada are also stunning and they also have the, the usual spots that you're supposed to go to. But on that trip, and there's, there's all these levels, right? Like when you're, when you're in a car versus a motorbike versus on foot, yeah. the world opens up to you in a different way for each, right? The beauty of it. Sure does. Sometimes the places I would find, you know, in Saskatchewan, which is our prairie, in Manitoba, which is still prairie, but it's, it's moving into a slightly you know, different landscape. And you'd be walking and you'd just dip down into maybe like a little ravine to have a snack or something, protein bar. <laughs> and, uh, and it would, it would be just as filling as the most majestic peak that I had seen on the trip. Not as dramatic, yeah. but just as filling in yeah. your soul. Cause you've, you've all of a sudden stumbled upon something that feels like nobody's ever seen it before. And there's something to that. I, I don't know what it is. I can't put a finger on it. We, we were in the mountains a couple of years ago. I go up with my cousins and we don't follow trails. Um, we drive down a logging road and he'll have, you know, have mapped out the uh, Google maps where he wants to go. And then we'll have a, uh, an inReach, which is like a satellite phone just to, to mark our way. And then we'll bushwhack up to uh Five, 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 or six thousand feet when you're up above the tree line, and wherever you're going, there's a high, high, high degree of likelihood no human has ever stood there before. And there's like this really fresh energy to these little discoveries when you mm. when you're there. I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying it's it it's, it has a different feeling. And uh, yeah, I am with you. I, I always find too. You know, my dad always reminds me kind of going back to the chaos of the world for just a second. Uh, it's the reality. <laughs> we have to. <laughs> right? I'm, on top, I'm still on top of that mountain where nobody has stood breathing that fresh air. <laughs> he, he says, he always reminds me to just, just take a little walk into nature and to just, I'm looking at it, I, you know, I'm taking a look up some my window and he's like, and you just, it's not there. All those narratives, all those labels are not there and you can reset a little bit in that right if you let if you let it and that's why you know and these adventures that like the one you just took and there's there's they're critical critical they're critical to to as a vehicle take us out of these little laptop phone bubbles that you know <laughs> that lock us in with whichever podcaster of the moment that we're, you know, news anchor, whatever, that we're just trapped in this, yeah. in this little thing. And it just puts us out, but I digress. Yeah. <laughs> no, spirit doesn't get the press. Body gets the press. Nowadays, mind gets a lot of press and just in the last, what, like handful of years as a, as a culture, we've 
come to respect the power of the mind and um, and mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but spirit, you know, I come from a Chinese medicine background, which is a body, mind, spirit medicine, which says they're simultaneous expressions of the same thing, and um, and and yet entryways into our holistic experience different entryways into our holistic experience. So, um, you know, what we're talking about is feeding our spirits and that's, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't, it's not popular in the same way that it is to talk about training your mind and training your body and taking care of making sure to supplement and (laughs) eat a good diet and, you know, all of these things, uh, are far more important culturally right now. Is that, Jay, is that um, Yucuzin? Is that, because you had a restaurant that had a a view of traditional Chinese medicine through food, right? Yeah. Is that Uh, Yucuzin, am I saying? Is that the word for it? Or what's the word for it? For the name of the restaurant? No, no, the name of the, the, when you use the food palette as a way of creating that mind body. Oh, I don't know. I never heard that word. You cusant. You cusant? I don't know. Right, well, this is like, if this was Joe Rogan's podcast, we'd have Jamie. We would. <laughs> Come on, search man. It, search it up. What is, this? what is this you invite me on here? Come on. I, but, this is the ramble. <laughs> I couldn't even get rights to the ramble song. By, I think it's Led Zeppelin. Is that ramble? <laughs> the, I, th- I thought it was Yucuzin where, where it's like food prepared according to Chinese medicine. What is that? I, yeah, I don't know. It could be. Like it, it could be. The student has we'll, become the teacher. We'll look at it. <laughs> put, it put it in the show notes, Joel. <laughs> I can't afford show notes. What the <laughs> Think there's show notes on this thing. Come on. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, then, like, like, let's take the label, <laughs> My label. whatever it's called, random word that I've made up. But is there? Which you're probably right about. We should probably. Which you're probably right about. Maybe. Well, I, uh, I'm not generally speaking right about those types of things, but I, but you had a restaurant that focused on food and Chinese medicine. No. Yeah. So what's that interplay? Like, and, and how does that, because is that, is that a way where food can almost become like that experience, like going to a park where it, it has it as opposed to just nourishing calories for energy. There's a different, component to it is that am i understanding it that way or yeah yeah i mean i uh to pan out a little bit get a little bit theoretical there's nothing we can do that doesn't touch us everywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> so food is an entry point into touching our holistic being just like climbing a mountain can be mm-hmm. right there's certainly benefits for the body and the mind for that as well as the spirit so everything is you know, touching us everywhere. Um, and food is one of those things. Yeah. Um, and Chinese medicine has a very elaborate framework for, um, identifying how to, uh, combine foods and, uh, timing with which to eat foods and, um, 
sourcing foods and, you know, things I don't know about, you know, which would, you know, growing food, you know, when, when and how to grow foods. And Mm. uh, so, yeah, the restaurant, the restaurant did that. It, it, food combined in ways to, um, to harmonize our body, mind, spirit based on the laws of Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to, I brought it up because I was, I was thinking of a segue because you, you had mentioned training the body and I wanted to, to, to chat with you about our, my favorite thing to chat with you about, which is training in general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, you know, it's funny, mate, because, well, to preface that really quick, you know, I'm talking about your, your triathlons and, and the food component being, you know, is there, is there a way that you're looking at? food in your training, but we're just going to, we're going to talk more in general too, because triathlon is the food sport. Like it is one of the only events with which requires food intake and nutrient yeah. intake in the actual event. And not only that, but so much more caloric intake than just about any other activity, you know, other than ultra marathoning, et cetera. Right. Like you don't need to, uh, as I understand it, you know, when you're exercising for 10 hours, it involves a little more than, you know, yeah. Well, you're doing. talking about the, the Ironman distance. Yeah. Endurance races. Yeah. But to back that up, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking about this the other day. It was a weird thought, I guess, because I, I was, ah, Jay's like, it's like really kind of dove into Ironmans and thinking of you as an athlete, as you sent me this picture and you've got like the whole get up on. And I'm like, he's serious, man. This guy is like, <laughs> this guy's no fucking joke. But then I was like, wait a second. No, you, you're like a black belt in jujitsu, aren't you? Yeah. And you were like an elite soccer player. Am oh, I wrong? elite. I, I might've missed my calling with soccer. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, but activity, physical activity has always been a really big part of my life, like maybe the biggest joy in my life. Mm -hmm. So I've always been really connected to it. And I started playing soccer very young. And in America, nobody played soccer back then. So there were no coaches. There was there was a point at which the teams I, were on, I was on were dissolved because there wasn't enough people to actually make a season. And so... But I, I had an a, a affinity for soccer, and, and I think I had a natural talent for it, too. Um, so, but I didn't, I, I switched to basketball, and I stopped playing for a long time. I came back to it in college, but by then, the sport had passed me by. But I love it, and I blew out both my knees playing soccer, and that in combination with uh, COVID, in combination with welcoming my, my son into the world, the, the timing, all, all of that kind of converged, and... So I stopped playing soccer to uh, spare my knees and I got into triathlon. That was just a couple of years ago. And I really, really love it. I mean, it doesn't really matter what the physical activity is. I'm going to love it because I just, um, I just, I'm very in my body in that way. And, and movement is very important to me and, and pushing myself is very important to me and to my health too. Uh, asthma ran in my family. And so it's really important for me to exercise my lungs almost every day. Mm. And yeah, so I, I, even as, yeah, and as a kid, I was, I was into martial arts. I think I started that as, I think as, seven, as a seven-year-old and it's been with me all my life. I started in Taekwondo and a tiny bit of Aikido while I was studying 
Shiatsu uh, in Boston back in the late 90s. Um, but then about 2000, I found jujitsu and, uh, and have, have stuck with jujitsu for 20, yeah, 20 years. Are you still rolling? Yeah, minim, you know, minimally, more, more as more with an educator intention, right? Then I'm going to tap somebody out. Education, <laughs> <laughs> you got to break their will. Yeah, tap them. somebody out intention, but yeah, I love it. It's it's chess with the body. It's incredible. I mean, I'm really passionate about it. I was curious. I guess why I prefaced the soccer and and the um, the martial arts not not only to just in my realization that you have been a dedicated athlete, not a hobbyist, a dedicated athlete, as far as I'm concerned, but how you but never elite, not like you. I mean, you're, you know, I'm not blowing smoke here. The bits you, here? <laughs> you were trained, man. You had, you had, you had, you know, the, the, the resources and the guidance and the, and the God given talent and the discipline and the work ethic. And, you know, you made that happen. I've, I've been a weekend warrior my whole life, but, maybe no less passionate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the only thing, my biggest downfall was the mind. I, when I was in flow, well, I, the, the heights I could hit as a runner, as an elite runner were unbounded uh, mm -hmm. and proven, you know, but I spent so much time with my shadow, with my critic, just doubting everything, uh, not in a good curiosity kind of way that I, you know, I just, I ended up, I ended up being injured a lot and I ended up just not loving the sport at the end of it, uh, mm. competitively, you know, I look back and I, and I realize how much joy I had out of disciplined training. Like I could just as easily have gone to Kenya or Ethiopia and lived in, you know, a shared hut training every day on dirt roads, you know, in a very sort of minimal existence as I could to live a posh Miami beach, you know, idyllic lifestyle, not saying that's you, but either or was fine with me. Right. Like I was like, it was super appealing. Running has that, that beautiful simplicity, but I got to a point where I was, I was so injured and you know, how have you, and I want to talk about the asthma, but how have you carried like knee replacements and all like every time my brother's role, it's like back goes out, like constantly. Like, how have you taken years of abuse and then mm. all of a sudden started fresh in an incredibly de physically demanding sport, like like an Ironman? How have you done that? Like, what's the like, what's the sauce? Oh, or is passion. there not a sauce? Bit passion, compassion, compassion, compassion. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's. It's body, you know, body, mind, and spirit. Again, it's. I learned the hard way a lot of my life, and I had that mentality that, you don't, you, you know, you leave it on the field. You, you don't, you know, if, if you didn't suffer, you didn't, you know, you didn't work hard enough, and you didn't, you know, put in enough. Um, I think in general, right now, we have this obsession with suffering. It's like, like, people pride themselves, like they're the the, the best. The best performers are the people who have uh, the highest threshold for suffering. Yeah. <laughs> like, Enter Iron Cowboy. Yeah, <laughs> first of all, we have to differentiate between pain and suffering because pain in life is not optional. 
suffering is optional. Suffering is a mindset about pain. And, uh, you know, that's the work that I do in my clinical practice, in my health and well-being work. It's to help people differentiate, to help people tease those two things. You know, suffering does not equal pain. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is a choice, right? So it's always interesting to me that, that suffering is the word people choose for some kind of like hard work and like sense of pride and accomplishment. And if I didn't have an experience where I could relate to that, mm. then I may not find it so odd, but I did. I had, you know, I had an, a moment where enough was enough. I had learned the hard way. I had broken enough things. I've broken everything fingers, toes, ribs, blown out my knees, I've, you know, been stitched up everywhere. And that was always a source of pride for me. It's, it's, I'm not saying that's good. It's not good, but you know, you leave it out there, right. And you can, you could take the pain and yeah, just the switch, the switch flipped and compassion came in. And, um, and I realized that there were softer ways of learning. I didn't have to learn the hard way. And I, and I didn't have to spend it all every single time I could still be competitive um, but I didn't have to spend it all every single time I went out there and uh, so it was it wasn't just in my my sport it was it was everywhere it was how I treated myself it was how I how I let people treat me in the world it was how uh, it was the coaches that I chose right we have a choice is your coach gonna and drive or is your coach going to laugh with you mm-hmm. and you guys are going to have a good time and you know are you overly result oriented or bhagavad gita are you unattached to the to the results of your actions yeah. <laughs> right it's all about the station you're at in life and i and i tend to be more in that station right now i'm not so attached to the results of my my actions i, I just did a race on, on a, an international distance triathlon on sunday and i'm you know i'm high five in the the support staff and the volunteers and waving at the cops who are closing off the roads and thanking them and pulling up alongside people and, you know, giving them a thumbs up and helping, you know, if they look like they're having a tough moment, yeah, yeah. helping out in any way that I can and just being out there and enjoying myself and, and having it be, you know, having it be something that brings me joy and, and not something that brings me stress and mm-hmm. where I'm, overly anxious about it and something magical always happens like this this past Sunday I was I was at mile I just finished mile three of the the 10k run at the end and a woman comes up well well first I preface this by saying mile about in the first mile to about mile you know another mile to about a mile and a half, I was running. This woman came up alongside of me and we were running alongside each other. She was huffing and puffing. And I'm, and then that's weird to me when people run and they're, to me, it's like they're at their limit, like they're redlining. Right. And I looked over at her and I, I tried, started the conversation with her. I tried to, and she wasn't having it. She didn't respond to me at all. Nothing. I like, <laughs> right, well. you in front of you. <laughs> Like, all right. So we ran next to each other for a little while and then she kind of pulled away. She was probably 30 meters ahead. Mile three, another woman comes up alongside of me 
right? So um, there's like three miles left to go. And she's also breathing really heavy. But I look over and I'm, I, I just, it just comes out, right? Um, just, I don't remember what I said, but I struck up a conversation. And, um, and she, she just, you know, revealed to me, she's like, oh my God, I'm in pain. And that woman up there, the one that was running alongside of me earlier uh, is in my division and she's in the lead right now. And that makes me second. I said, all right, well, let's get her. <laughs> mm -hmm. We just started chatting and, um, and uh, my last three miles became a coaching experience. And I was able to, you know, help, help her pace and keep her mind focused. And, and at the turn mile five to six, we, we passed the, the other lady and, um, and she never looked back. And that was like the most joyful thing that I had that of the whole day, for sure. That was my highlight, but I just got so much out of the interaction of feeling like I was able to help somebody or feeling like, you know, what was most important to me in that moment was not my watch and my time, but, um, you know, having a meaningful encounter and a meaningful experience and being part of something that you know, that meant something to me, what meant something in that moment was, you know, assistance. And, and, and I, I had my own gratification from tapping into the coach role. That was really fulfilling for me. Yeah. So uh, that was, yeah, that, so, so yeah, that's how I, that's how I look at these events now mm -hmm. with more joy and, you know, less pressure and yeah. So that was that wasn't a, I don't know if that transition happened because of sport or other things in my life. I'd have to think about the moment where that happened, where, um, yeah, where I let myself off the hook. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's powerful, man. Like there, I share this sometimes, um, Galen Rupp is the, well, he was the U.S. record holder in, I think the 5K and the 10K and probably number two in the marathon, but he's been the top American distance runner for a decade. Lost some, lost some records recently, but that just might be because of the shoes and, uh, you know, at least, at least that. But Definitely. point being was I think at the uh, Olympic trials for Rio in the marathon, he's at the, uh, there's this famous picture that he's sitting down at the starting line. And uh, everybody else, like you can, the pans across the, you know, all the athletes and there's just these like stern, tight looks on their face and they're slapping their legs and they're, and they're doing stride outs from the starting line, which, you know, you do. And if you're running at 800 or a mile or whatever, sure. You know, yeah. you need to have that, that pop, but he's like, he's like, well, you know, one, I have plenty of time to, you know, it's a long race. <laughs> and two, he's like, he's like, it just was relaxed. You know, there's no point in getting worked up. And he wasn't always that way for sure, at least, you know, from, from my view, but the point being is that when you can relax, my best performances were always when I was having fun. Always. Yep. When I, when I found a way to, to, to take nervousness as it would, as it would be, but find the joy in that, 
particular race yeah. or event or training session. And the best guy in Canada, when I was growing up uh, in my age group, he was the happiest, most carefree guy. Always. And, and, and if you take, you know, a moment in a race to say something, to have that conversation, I mean, that girl who was in front, if she had loosened up a little bit, she may have held on for the win, you know, being willing to just, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm wasting energy because I'm having a conversation. You know, there's, there's other factors at play and that tightness it can, you know, is the biggest one that we become our own resistance out there. And so I totally agree with, with what you're saying. I think it's, it's going to lead to just so much joy and, and there's joy in the pain. There's joy in the work. And I'm curious mm-hmm. what your block is, not what your block is right now, your training block, but because um, I don't know specifically, you sometimes send me some workouts here and there, but uh, when, you're in the, when you're in the most intense building phase of an Ironman for full, not for the full distance, what is a typical week look like? in terms of some of your key training sessions and in terms of hours committed to those training sessions. And it might not be period. It might not be periodized as a week. It might be as three weeks. Again, I don't know, but yeah, we've been meaning to have this conversation because you're, you know, we're talking about doing one of these things together, right? Yes, we are. And and I'm a little bit concerned about your (laughs) regimen. I'm kidding. You're a pro, but I'm, I, you know, I'm not the authority on this because I'm, I'm only in this sport a couple of years. And uh, so I don't have extensive experience, but from what I know and what I have been coached to do, it depends whether this is, you know, the starting block of triathlon in general, or whether this is a camp for a race, right? Maybe it's a subtle difference, but at, at the stage that I'm at right now, I feel generally in shape to, um, you know, to maybe put a three-month camp together where, where the workouts intensify up until two weeks before, maybe three weeks before, maybe three weeks before being the longest, most intense week of all of the weeks. And, the, and it's a lot of time. I mean, it could be it could be 20 hours a week. Uh, and it could be, you know, starting your weekend, your, your Saturday is typically a long brick. So you're riding anywhere, you know, in that three or four month window of whatever your camp is, um, you know, in the early stages, maybe you're, you're riding 50 miles and running five or six. And on your Sunday, you're running, maybe seven or eight or, you know, something like that. And as you get closer to maybe two months out, now you're riding 70 or 80 miles and running eight or or 10. And then as you get probably that, you know, that last month you're, and, and even the month before that, you're, you're also focusing on time more so than distances. And I mean, every coach has their, has their system and their structure, but, um, in my experience, it was more about time. So it's like ride the bike for five hours and then run for three and a half. And that's your Saturday. And so it's an eight and a half hour brick and whatever distance you cover, you cover. Right. Um, and then on a Sunday, it's 
all right, then your Sunday is run for another three hours. So you're running between Saturday and Sunday, you're running, you know, six and a half to seven hours. And then, you know, you're riding for five hours. And during the week, you're, you're more like anywhere from 60 to 120 minutes and you're switching it up, swimming, biking, and running, of course, and maybe during the week, one, one or two bricks. So you, you know, maybe you're swimming a mile and, and running three or, you know, biking for 20 miles and, you know, running for four or five, something like that. Um, but generally speaking during the week, and this is the way I approach it. Cause I just, you know, you, you only have as much time as you have. And, uh, so on the weekends, I get up extra early. I'll get up like 3.30 or 4 o'clock to get those long training sessions in before my son wakes up and finishes his breakfast. And, you know, during the week, I keep it to an hour or 90 minutes, and it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's, you know, that's probably less than ideal. Less than ideal. There's people who train for half Ironman that do way more than that. Really? It's, it's not, I don't think it's, I don't think it's right. All the coaches that I've spoken to, they're somewhere in line with what I was just sharing and your, your maximum, like I was saying, maybe three weeks before a race, your, your maximum is going to be that hundred or 110 mile bike ride with a two or three hour run. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that is the most intense day you'll have in training, training for a full Ironman from the coaches that I've spoken to. Yeah. Which is not that many, maybe a few. Because it comes down to adaptability, right? So it comes down to how does my body adapt to this training to give me the performance result that I want, right? And that's why, you know, again, going back to just the running component, you switch coaches. Coaches have different regimes, different programs. You have a different, uh, you, you adapt and some guys get injured. Often you get injured when you switch coaches, but then maybe later you adapt. Uh, and the curiosity that I have is, is for myself is can my body, can my body adapt in a modified version of what you just outlined, where I'm focusing more so on a couple of bricks and then strength and conditioning training. It's still increasing the bricks, but taking out the the time on feet, kind of, so to speak, during the week as much to lower my risk of potentially injury, potentially burnout. Um, you know, just with everything else I have going on. I'm not saying I would, and that's a curiosity, right? That's because I have I have a history of running of of you know, hundred, hundred mile weeks with weight training and, and different things. And, and saying, you know, is there a path there that, that I could follow where my body would adapt? I don't know. My, my assumption is that it would, uh, that I, that it would, if I, if I brought myself close enough and in, in it, looking at it almost like if I was racing my way to fitness, right. Where let's say I just, with minimal, minimal training, jumped into races. Eventually, if I, if I broke those races up every two weeks, every three weeks, not fulls, but you know, sprints, halves, et cetera, and went to a full, would my body adapt racing my way there with minimal training in between? And I've done that in 
in training where I've, I've been on a recovery from an injury, say a, say a stress fracture in the, in the middle of winter that caused me to miss my base building phase. Yeah. And, uh, and then having to use the track season, the racing season as the way that I built my fitness, because I didn't have the ability to train as intensely or recover as quickly by racing and training hard. So I only chose the races and the races became my building blocks, but that's, you know, that's, that's hypothetical. And we'll, you know, you and I are going to cross that bridge more times. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to have a follow on pod when I've fully committed <laughs> and I don't even own a bike. Richard, Rich Roll says, Rich Roll says the best bike you have is the one you have. So I got the $35 stationary that I got at a garage sale. Brain painted to beauty. Right. But, uh, and I'm starting to ride, you know, I ride and I ride, a little bit on it, but we're going to dedicate a podcast to just that. And we're going to, we're just going to talk about what we're doing at some point in the middle of a, of a buildup. How's that? Let's do it. Let's do it. And you're going to just shit all over my, my crazy methods. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, Joel, it's not going to work. Come race day. You're going to (laughs) honk. Well, no, no. I, I would trust yourself. Because you're, I mean, you have so much experience, but rate, I mean, racing with triathlons, I mean, you want to be, you want to be rested for the races. So it disturbs your training. If you're rate, like there are people who are training for a 70.3 half Ironman next month, and they didn't race this past weekend because their weekend is occupied with the things they need to do to be ready for that longer race. So they weren't going to disturb their regimen for an international triathlon because they would want to rest the day before the triathlon. And then that triathlon wouldn't actually give them the same exertion and, you know, benefit as the training session they had planned. So that's, that's something to consider is that racing kind of goes away when you have with what I've seen in the triathlon world, and I'm looking at the time, but what what I've seen in the triathlon world is you have a primary race and then you have other races that are less important to you that if, you know, you don't plan on peaking for, right. Which I'm sure is the same with your experience. And so, you know, you, you sacrifice things for that, that number one race, uh, whatever that means in the bigger picture. It, it, it is a fair point. And I don't think I explained myself correctly, but we'll, um, I'm not going to battle you on it uh, <laughs> today. We're going to, well, we, we got to <laughs> jump. I, uh, I, I got the, uh, I got the, I got the look from the wife at the door. It's our, it's our with, time with the finger on this. And it's I'm our like, time. Oh, we'll, we're just we'll talking maybe, about maybe. now. <laughs> <laughs> My friend, where, like, if you want people to find you, not your home, but, you in the, in the metaverse <laughs> in the, all the verses in any spiritual realms where can they do so <laughs> well let's stick to the physical realm for the moment and uh yeah just my website is probably the best place drjcgordon.com i don't spend a lot of time on social media but i have presences there under the same name yeah cool uh, well, that's where, that's where that will happen. And if I can afford some show notes, we'll put it in there. How does that sound? <laughs> Let's get my, the show notes going. 
my brother uh thank you for your time i know you've got lots on the go and uh i just want to say that you know you know i i feel this the world is and my world for sure is a better place because you're in it and so I'm, i'm just very grateful for you and and for sharing some of that wisdom today and always with me and for those who you know are curious about more like a finger pointing to the moon is a fantastic book and the next one will be also fantastic but the courses whenever those are out i have no doubt will also be worth a look at so please check out dr jason gordon and and just tap into his vehicle (laughs) (laughs) hop on board that vehicle whichever one it is i feel the same way about you brother and appreciate the invitation today Um, it'd be the first of many moments from here hence forward absolutely as always thanks so much for listening to the ramble no there is a lot of podcasts out there so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one you know we want to be part of the the solution the the good questions the things that move you and inspire you make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others and all that great stuff so if the spirit does move you subscribe share post anything we'd be forever grateful and if you have any comments or feedback good bad ugly it doesn't matter we're here to listen guests you think we should have on of course send them along thank you and until next time peace